0: Now, <laughs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have your word, that we can study it, that we can read it, that we can digest it, God, that it become part of us in the name of Jesus. I pray and ask that you would anoint the preaching of your word this morning, God, that we would receive revelation, knowledge, and understanding. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So like Pastor Wayne said, we're going through the first book of John or the first letter of John verse by verse. As you know, this is not technically a letter because there's no formal greeting and it's not addressed to anyone. It's addressed to believers. And throughout the book, you'll see that whoever wrote it, many Bible scholars believe John wrote it. He uses the affectionate term, my little children. Praise God. So, hallelujah, Jesus said, unless you become converted and receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child, you won't enter in so... Let's uh, enter in this morning as little children. Can you say amen? Amen. Today is March 7th. In the year 203 A.D., over in the city of Carthage, which is in modern-day Tunisia, a 22-year-old mother of an infant baby and uh, several of her friends were put into the arena, and the wild animals were released to kill them. What the wild animals didn't do the gladiators finished off with swords. This young lady's name was Vivia Perpetua. She uh, uh, and her brother, she had a personal slave. She was a member of the nobility there in Carthage and a member of the Roman citizenship. And in those days, if you disobeyed your dad, it was very shameful. Her dad was not a believer, but she was. Unfortunately, the year earlier in 2002 AD, the Roman Emperor Septimius Severus issued a law and outlawed conversion from the pagan religion of Rome to Christianity. Uh, Ms. Perpetua got baptized in direct violation of the law, and she was therefore condemned. She had a vision while she was in prison of a ladder that reached up to heaven. As far as you could see. And she said these very significant words. There's only room for one person at a time. And I found that very interesting because salvation is such a personal thing. Can you say amen? Let us continue. Oh, by the way, I'm going to mention something about uh, the, uh, what the scholars nowadays, they don't use the word or the term A-D. <clears throat> Anno Domini anymore. It's CE, the Christian era, and BCE, before the Christian era, as though, you know, you can get rid of Jesus. And how many know they're trying to cancel Jesus Christ? <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Praise God. So John, in the beginning of this uh, essay or letter, he says, you know what? <clears throat> I was an eyewitness. I saw I touched, I heard, I was there. Jesus is real. Can you say amen? God does not, and in the beginning of the book, of the letter there, or whatever you want to call it, the essay, says God's kingdom is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness cannot overcome it. And God has no shadows. There's no turning. There's no darkness in his kingdom because we know that in Hebrews chapter 13, Chapter 13, verse 8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. In chapter 2, he talks about Jesus being our advocate, our defense lawyer, and he has a new commandment, which is actually an old commandment, to love one another. Let's begin, pick up where we left off, in chapter 2, verse 15. John writes, he says, do not love the world. Let's stop there just for a second. He's not talking about Mother Earth. You know, we have Earth Day now. That We've got to be careful and, and uh, uh, not say anything offensive and, and not uh, you know, do anything that would uh, damage the earth. He's not talking about the earth. He's talking about the fallen world. The world or the things of the world. This is the Greek word cosmos with a K, not a C like uh, Carl Sagan. Uh, and everybody remember Carl Sagan's uh, TV series, Cosmos. It's really amazing what they've discovered since then. How big the universe is and how much is going on out there. But this word here is the orderly arrangement. It literally means an orderly arrangement according to Strong's Dictionary. Mr Vine's dictionary of Greek New Testament words goes on to clarify that this word means the present condition of human affairs in alienation from and opposition to God. If you look around in the median society today there's a lot of opposition to God. Can you say amen? Interestingly though in John chapter 3 verse 16 Jesus said but God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So what, do, what does He mean? Don't love the world, but Jesus said He loves the world. It's talking about being enamored or sympathizing with the world and agreeing with the world system that uh, we don't need God. The world says we can solve this on our own. Anybody ever heard of the... Uh, term secular humanism it's not new anybody heard of socialism (laughs) that's not new either it's been uh, uh, attempted to get control of this country's uh, for over a hundred years now but what God's love or Jesus's love of the world is talking about its compassion God loves the world because he sees the mess that we're in A lot of people don't think we're in a mess, but believe me, just look around. We're in a mess. And then in verse 16, he goes on to say, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in this world. And these are the three things, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Not from the Father, but it's from the world. These are the three main areas of sin. In the King James, it calls it the lust, of the, eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The desires of the flesh. they are normal desires of the flesh. How many know God gave you and I in our physical body some normal desires? But when they're out of control, then it's sin. When they're controlling a person's life and causing them to do things that they shouldn't be doing, that's the desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes is uh, the, the uh, idea of covetousness, wanting something that's not yours. Years ago, I read a story about a uh, mining company uh, or some big company went into a, uh, a developing nation. I don't know where it was exactly, uh, and they got a bunch of the local people to come work. They got their first paycheck, and the next day, nobody came to work. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. How come nobody's working? Why didn't you come back to work? Well, so you gave us our money. We don't need any more money for the rest of the year. So they got the bright idea. Distribute some catalogs that show how much things cost. Next thing you know, everybody came back to work because they saw stuff. Whoa, hey, I'd like that. What an idea, huh? That's what, huh, what's that uh, name of that place, uh, Madison Avenue Advertising is all about, it's to create. A need or a want, and not necessarily need, but a want in everybody. When I'm watching television with my wife, I like to turn off the sound during the commercials and start making fun of the commercials. Oh, yeah, you really need that. Oh, yeah, you can trust this guy because he's old. (laughs) He must know a lot. (laughs) The desires of the eyes and the pride of life, which is the uh, putting... um, all of your confidence and trust in your possessions and everything that you have and without any need of God. It's an attitude of arrogance. I don't need God. Anybody ever meet somebody? And say, I don't need God. Ah, it's just a crutch. It's not a crutch. It's the whole world. It's all my universe. But God so loved the world, the present condition of human affairs. It's not from the Father, but it's of the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes and he mentions the course of this world. Mr. Rick Renner in his book, Sparkling Gems, he describes uh, it as the influence or the spirit of a particular generation. I grew up in the late uh, 60s, early 70s, and there was a spirit in that generation that uh, caused a lot of things to change. There was a spirit in that generation that, for one thing, was dissatisfied with the status quo. For another thing, there was great revival among the youth. I remember the, the Jesus movement of the 70s. Lots of people getting saved and, and all kinds of excitement in the thing, kingdom of heaven. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, remember this, in the world you will have tribulation. Anybody have any problems? (laughs) Let me tell you. Never mind. You could probably tell me. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Take heart. Be courageous. Fear not. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet, and he said, I have overcome the world. How many remember the temptation in the wilderness? Three things. The lust of the flesh. Jesus is hungry, the devil says, make the, bre- the rock bread, the lust of the eyes. He says, uh, somehow Satan is able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the whole world at a moment of time, and he tells him, worship me, and I'll give these all to you. They're not even his. <laughs> but Jesus rebukes that, that's the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. The devil comes along with a Bible and says, to hey, Jesus, it says in here, blah, 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 do it. God's going to protect you. And Jesus, of course, uses the scripture to defend it and say, you know, I'm not going to put God to the test. You're an idiot, Satan. And he flees and leaves for a time. The world, you will have tribulation, but Jesus has overcome the world because the desires, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the eyes of the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. But in verse 17, look, the world is passing away along with its desires. It's passing away. Let me tell you something. I read a very interesting book. I don't believe the whole thing. published in 1910, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Wattles. He made an interesting statement. The world is not going to the devil. It is going to God. Well, oh, yeah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, it's not. It's passing away. The world system is passing away. I know, he goes on to say, true, there may be a... Many good things in existing conditions which are disagreeable. Can you say amen? (laughs) This is not scripture, but this is an individual who's got some insight. The kingdom of heaven, the Bible says in Daniel that, or in Isaiah, excuse me, chapter 6, I believe it's verse 9 that of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Daniel says he saw the uh, vision of this or interprets a dream of King Nebuchadnezzar about the statue that gets smashed by a rock that comes out of nowhere and then the rock grows and consumes everything and fills everything. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's going to replace the kingdom of the world. Thank God for you and I that have received Jesus Christ into our hearts. The kingdom of heaven is already existing in us. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you. And the kingdom of darkness has already passed away from our lives. Can you say amen? Um, You know the story of uh, Joseph being sold by his brothers into Egypt. And he tells his brothers when he finally meets them. Again, says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Somebody approached a a minister of the gospel and said, you know, Paul must not have had any faith. What do you mean he didn't have any faith? Well, if he had faith, he wouldn't have gone through all those problems he went through. Really? (laughs) No, no, no. The reason he was able to get through all those problems is because he had faith. He went through a lot of disagreeable problems times can you say amen five times he was given 39 stripes beaten with rods if you've seen the movie uh, Wormbrand uh, or Tortured for Christ you know what they're talking about they, they tie him up and then they hit the bottom of his feet with a, a rod so you can't walk after that for a while Paul had lots of problems but he got through them all because his faith was not in his circumstances as faith was in Jesus Christ. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hallelujah. So, um, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. How do you do the will of God? The reward for humility and fear of the Lord, which is respecting God, is riches, honor, and life. Three things. Riches, honor, and life as opposed to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are rewards from God. Verse 1 of chapter 22 in Proverbs says, A good name is to be chosen rather than silver and gold. Wait a minute. Excuse me. (laughs) A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than than silver or gold. How about Micah chapter 6, verse 8? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things. Do justly, love mercy or loving kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. How many has ever met arrogant Christians? I remember one day, I was working at a produce warehouse and a young man drives up and uh, his little Volkswagen's he got a Bible on the seat of his car, and he goes into the office, gets his stuff, and I bring out the... He does all the paperwork, and I bring out the stuff to his car. He came from a restaurant, and I seen the Bible. I say, hey, man, are you saved? He says, yeah. He says, are you uh, really born again, or, or are you just... Uh, I forget the words. He called me uh, like a make-believe Christian. I was like, what? Do You always insult other people like that? Another time, I, I went to invite somebody... I gave uh, him a flyer to invite him to a special event we were having. And he looks at me and he says, what are you, some kind of a fanatic? And I said, you know what? If you knew what Jesus did for you, you'd be a fanatic too. He said, oh, yeah, I know. I go to such and such a church. And do they teach you to insult people? No, no, they teach us to test the spirits. He said, okay, whatever. Well, yeah. go away your way rejoicing and I'll go my way rejoicing and, and believe God and be glad when I meet another Christian. Hallelujah. All right, how about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3? It specifically says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. What's sanctification? Sanctification means you're set apart to God. Basically means you and I have been made holy by asking Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. Say it with me. I am holy. I am. I am holy. Say it like you mean it. I am holy. You are holy because Jesus' blood has cleansed you and washed you. Hallelujah. And your sanctification or separation unto God is that you abstain from sexual immorality. How many know that the world is promoting that like crazy? It, and they're nuts. In fact, they're so confused, some of them don't even know if they're a boy or a girl. Each one of you should know how to control your own body. This also could mean each one of you should know how to stay married in holiness and honor. Praise God. If you're divorced and remarried, God loves you. God's working in your life. God's helping you. This is not a criticism of that. What it is, is, this is an encouragement for you to make sure to ask ask God to help you to fix your mind on living for God and doing the will of God. And one of the main ways to do that is to abstain from sexual immorality. Can you say amen? amen? Praise God. All right. Little children or children, it is the last hour. Now that you heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Little children in the King James. If you notice, you remember in chapter, in the earlier chapter, he talks, he's got these verses. It's almost like a, a a poem or a rhyme. He talks about fathers, young men, little children. This is the progression from young men. How many know? Every generation needs to give their lives to Jesus. God has no grandchildren. God has only children. Hallelujah. Each successive age, according to Jameson, Fawcett and Brown's commentary, has had in it some of the signs of the last time which precedes Christ's coming in order to keep the church in continual waiting for the Lord. Jesus is coming back. Can you say amen? Jesus is coming back. Who knows? He could come back in the middle of the service. I saw a, a video skit one time. These people were uh, uh, doing a skit. There's a bunch, the whole church is going on, and there's a guy sitting there reading a the newspaper, and all of a sudden the lights blink. Pfft. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, there's like five people left in the church. Whew. Can you imagine that? The rapture happens. (laughs) What a good place to be in church. Can you say amen? Every generation has had some sign that it is the last time that Jesus could come back any moment. Hallelujah. Something to look forward to. Verse 8, he says, You have heard that Antichrist is coming. That's the proof. One of the proofs, Antichrist, not necessarily means against Christ, although it does, it also means a false Christ. However, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, John never uses false Christ or an alternative Christ. He's talking about something specific. Um, One of the reasons, according to the Jewish Annotated New Testament, that John wrote this letter, or this um, essay, is because there was a a belief going around, uh, and I've heard it from some people, uh, called docetism. And it comes from the Greek word dokio, which means to seem or appear. And the idea was, well, the God's a spirit. So... Uh, Jesus only seemed to be human was the idea and they're saying that because Jesus is God and he was not really a human he was a spirit he didn't feel any pain and he really didn't die Well, John says hogwash I was there I saw it and some commentators believe that that's that uh, has caused a split in the church that's why John says that uh, they, they didn't continue. They went out from us because they were not of us. They had a church split, some Bible commentators believe. But John says, we saw, we heard, we touched. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, Paul addresses this. And he says, there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. This is proof that they're in the last days. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Then in verse 20, he says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. One translation says, you know everything. Anybody ever meet anybody that knows everything? <laughs> Praise God. They're kind of, uh, you might uh, politely say, arrogant. <laughs> we have some apprentices and the carpenters that know everything. and you know, They're kind of difficult to work with because you can't tell them anything. But God, uh, the J.B. Phillips translation, he says, in, in this instant you have been anointed and you have all knowledge. He, he translates it this way. God has given you all, and he's not a Texan saying you all, he says God has given all of you a certain amount of spiritual insight. How many have been reading your Bible and you've read this passage before and the next thing you know you read it again and then a few years later or whenever you read it again and it's like, oh, I never saw that before. I love that. Oh, wow, God showed me something new. Isn't that awesome? God has given all of us a certain amount of spiritual insight. Some people think, well, since I know everything, I don't have to go to church. Well, good luck with that, because uh, how many know that we have an enemy who loves to go after those lonely little sheep that are just wandering around, and if you're a sheep out by yourself, you don't have much of a chance against the lion. Not at all. And the devil roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We do need church. Hallelujah. The Holy One is Christ, and therefore you have all knowledge. According to Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary on the Bible, what he's literally saying is that you know everything needful or necessary for acting correctly against the antichrist's seductions or drawing you away to error and everything you need for christian life and godliness anybody remember the acronym bible basic instructions before leaving earth you want to know how to live for god <laughs> read this book <laughs> basic instructions before leaving earth we're all going to leave Earth someday. <laughs> Might as well be properly instructed. Hallelujah! Let's go on. Chapter 21 or verse 21. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But who? The, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the denier of that fact is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the son so why does he have this in here the father and the son because both are God and many people deny that the son is the same as the father in essence anybody ever talk with a Jehovah witness they don't believe Jesus is God they believe Jesus is uh, God's you know helper or something help God create you know so how do you how do you argue with that I'm glad you asked that, because here's a a special verse. As you all know, the original writings in the Greek were all capital Greek letters. Those are the oldest manuscripts. It's called unical writing, or unical letters. All capital letters, no punctuation, no periods, no commas, no quotation marks. Somebody put numbers to the verses it was saint jerome thank god for saint jerome because there's lots of 316s in the bible that are very very good scriptures to know for example 1 timothy chapter 3 verse 16 great indeed we must confess is the mystery of godliness so this is what you can show Jehovah's witness ask them what they think about it he who he was manifested in the flesh that's jesus Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached or proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. Who else could that be talking about but Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Christ, Jesus the Christ. And by the way, that word Christ comes from a Greek word, cryo, which means the anointed one. It's the equivalent of the Jewish word Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, that's the Antichrist. The Gospel. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is perfect theology. God came to earth, became a human being like us, tempted and always, yet without sin. Born of a virgin because his blood had to be holy from the very, very beginning. As you know, the mother and And the baby never exchanged blood. The baby's blood is created by the baby itself as it uh, develops in the womb. So Jesus' blood was holy from the very, very beginning. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, and also Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Everyone who acknowledges or confesses me before men, Jesus said, I will also acknowledge or confess before my Father who is in heaven. And Luke adds, in the presence of his holy angels. But then Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Vine's Dictionary says that this word confess or acknowledge means to declare openly by way of speaking out freely, such confession being the effect of deep conviction of facts. In essence, we're to speak out about the cause of Christ and then Jesus, as we saw earlier in the the, uh, essay, Jesus will be our advocate. Our defense lawyer. When you and I get to heaven and we get there, and and what if Jesus says, Why should I let you into heaven? So, well, I did all these good works. And what did Jesus tell him? on the day of judgment? He says there's some people going to say, Well, we did all these good works. We even cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. What a scary thing to hear. Oh my goodness. But, Whoever confesses Jesus, speaking out freely, you have to tell somebody, you know what? I belong to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. i never forget one time I was at a, uh, a meeting and uh, um, we had a, 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 a social hour before dinner. This guy standing there, oh, no, you don't drink? And I said, no, Jesus Christ set me free from alcohol. And he looked at me like, What? Jesus Christ set me free from alcohol. I was an alcoholic. I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking on the job. I was drinking by myself. I was having hangovers and blackouts. I was an alcoholic. But Jesus set me free. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Well, okay. Enjoy your alcohol, whatever. Mine is gone. Hallelujah. We're to speak out freely and tell somebody about Jesus confess let what you heard from the beginning which is salvation abide in you what you heard from the beginning abides in you then you too will abide in the son and in the father there's that phrase again the son and the father and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life hallelujah glory to god We have eternal life. When you and I received Jesus, we received the gift of eternal life right then and there. Hallelujah. John chapter 17, verse 3, says these words, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Nine times the word know is in this letter. Nine times, just in chapters 1 and 2, that you may know. God wants us to know. Can you say amen? To have no doubt, to be fully persuaded and convinced. Hallelujah. What you heard from the beginning, let it abide in you. It literally means let it continue. Don't let it slip away. Glory to God. Ha. Eternal life the permanent consummation of abiding in the Son and in the Father. We have the hope of eternal life right now, but someday we are going to actually manifest it. It's actually going to be a total, complete, permanent reality. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Glory to God. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 9, I love John chapter 15. Jesus says, you have not chosen me. I've chosen you. I'm the vine. You're the branches. uh, Kathy and I watched a conference with the Voice of the Martyrs Friday evening. And uh, we'd heard uh, Dan Bauman speak before. He had been arrested and imprisoned in Iran. And uh, he said uh, that one of the things that sustained him, he tried to commit suicide four times while he was locked up. He's only there for nine weeks. He said the last time he tried to commit suicide, he chickened out. He's laying on the floor of his his cell there, and Jesus appears to him. And he said, I've only had two visions in my whole life. And he said, Jesus looked at me and he said, You know what, Dan? I like you. I want you to know, I believe that's a word from God for you and I. Jesus is telling you and I, I like you. Not only does he love us, he likes us. Glory to God, let that sink in. Jesus says to you and I, I like you. How many have met people that you don't like? Lots of them. But Jesus likes you and I. Jesus likes them too. Doesn't like the things they do all the time. But he likes us. Hallelujah. Jesus said, abide in me. I will abide in you. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, Jesus said, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus also says in John chapter 15, if you abide in me, you ask anything, my name, I will do it. Doesn't say when, but he says he will do it. (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's go on eternal life. John continues writing and says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The antichrists, those that deny that Jesus is God come in the flesh, but the anointing that you received from him. Literally, this is uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. The anointing that you received from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you. Well, Yes, actually, you do. Let me clarify what he's talking about here. Hallelujah. What you heard from the beginning, the anointing that you received from him abides in you. This word anointing is charisma, or where we get the word charisma from. It's another name for the Holy Spirit, which makes us holy and separated unto God. You have no need that anyone should teach you. This does not mean that you and I are infallible. Anybody ever make a mistake? (laughs) Lots of them. Praise God. It does not mean that we are infallible. Even together, all together, it doesn't mean we're infallible. No human is infallible. Then you say amen. But his anointing teaches you about everything Essential to salvation. And the anointing is true and is no lie. See that spot right there? That means, hold on a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Just think about this. His anointing teaches you about everything. All things. Everything that you need for salvation. The anointing is true. It's not a lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. Continue Serving God. If you have given your life to Jesus, please, please, please don't ever give up. Don't ever quit. Don't ever throw in the towel. Don't ever say this is too hard. This doesn't make any sense. If you're having trouble, reach out to somebody. Talk to somebody. Pray to Jesus. Talk to Him. Hallelujah. Don't ever give up. Continue. There's hope of eternal reward. There's hope in this life, and in the life to come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The righteousness of God. Little children. And we'll finish up here. Now little children, abide in Him, continue in Him so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. I don't know about you, but there is things in my past that I am Deadly and deathly ashamed of. Horribly ashamed of. But thank God that we can stand before Jesus and say, I put my trust in you, Jesus. I believe that what you did on the cross is more than enough to make me good enough to come into your presence. Hallelujah. Lord, to God. Abide in him so that when he appears... We may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. He who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's you and I, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of us. Let's not be ashamed of him. Lord to God. <clears throat> And then verse 9, or 29. Work. Ah, good. <laughs> Some Bible scholars say that right here, verse 29, this is the heading of the next subject or the next part of the letter or treatise or essay. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That's how you know you're born of God. You practice righteousness. And how do you know now, well, how do you establish righteousness? The world has their own, um, and the world, by the way, keeps changing their definitions of righteousness. But you know that he is righteous. You may be sure everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So some people think that you have to live a righteous life in order to gain God's favor. But the opposite is true in the kingdom of heaven. You've gained God's favor by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and putting your faith and trust in that. And therefore, from then on, what you do is righteous. The righteousness of God. In the Bible dictionary I have, it says it's is the divine energy by whose power God wills and does all things conformable to his eternal law. The Bible says that it's Christ, it's God in you, who both wills and to do His good pleasure. God will give you and I ideas. He will prescribe suitable laws to His creatures. How many know that there's laws of physics that God Himself, I believe, put into motion and the universe obeys them? One of them is change is the only constant. God fulfills His promises to men he rewards the good and He punishes the evil. Having been born again, it motivates us to love God. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 about the righteousness of God. There's this one famous scripture that I learned many years ago when I first got saved and uh, they called it the Romans Road. How to win sinners. Tell them they're sinners. That doesn't work very good. Well, you can use this verse here, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. <clears throat> all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How about the next part? Or start with verse 21. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Everyone who believes in Jesus Gets the gift of the righteousness of God. Martin Luther, the uh, German uh, um, founder of the Protestant Reformation, before he got saved, he had a problem with the righteousness of God. He said, "What the righteousness? I'm doing all the right things. I'm I'm following all the rules, but I'm not right with God." He come to understand, and it was the righteousness of God that he discovered only comes by putting your faith in Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely by His grace. Through grace you're saved uh, as a gift from God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When you put your confidence in Christ Jesus, like Charles Spurgeon said, if I get to heaven on my own merits, I'll be the most surprised person there. Because you can't earn God's favor. God gives us his favor freely. The woman uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter 7, she comes in. Uh, she's a woman of uh, ill repute and she understands what Jesus is all about. It's the forgiveness. And she has received that forgiveness and she comes in and she weeps and she anoints Jesus' feet and she washes his feet and the Pharisee says inside, he's thinking, Jesus, if you knew about this woman. You wouldn't let her touch you. But Jesus tells her or tells him, whoever is forgiven much loves much. Hallelujah. And that's what it's all about. It's the forgiveness and the redemption. And that motivates us. Hallelujah.